0: Welcome to Frontier War Stories. Before I go on any further, I would like to pay my respects to the country on which I make this podcast and where my guests are from and also the listeners. I uh, also want to pay my respects uh, to all Aboriginal people who fought in the frontier, uh, which began as early as 1788 and lasted till the 1930s. That's roughly 140 years that Aboriginal people continue to resist, exist, and fight. I also like to pay my respects to all of our mob across this beautiful continent uh, today. Each episode, I speak with different Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people about research, books, and oral histories, which document the first 140 years of conflict and resistance. These times are the frontier wars, and these are our war stories. And uh, welcome to episode 26. I speak with Fred Leone. Uh, Fred is a father, musician, and a lead songman for his people, the Bachelor People. We'll be talking about his great grandfather who survived three massacres in the NT, in the Northern Territory. Um, and just, I guess, just to start off, Fred, brother, could you tell us a bit about yourself and where you're from? Yeah, hi,
1: brother. Um, I'm a uh, Garo, a uh, Bachelor Man. Um, Ngato on my grandfather's side, and, uh, Butula and South Sea on my grandmother's side, on my mother's mother and my mother's father's side, and my dad's Pongan. So I've got a bit of a biggest mob, got a mix, got a big mix, and, um, and I grew up in Brisbane, one of the Brisbane blacks, and I'm currently living down, uh, in, uh, Wurundjeri country, down, um in uh Wurrung Country, Woyong Woyongre country, country down in uh, Victoria. Yeah,
0: deadly. Thanks, that brother. And one of the things that I'm really interested in, uh, really um, pleased about uh, in this episode as well, is um, the story that you're going to tell me. Um, you you first learnt you know uh, through old history was passed down to you because um, yeah. a lot of the yarns that I do have are from historians and researchers, uh, singers are uh, people who sort of you know uh done their uh, you know sort of academics or or um, have researched a specific topic to understand more about obviously and I'm sure you did uh, as well and which we'll get into uh, in this episode as well but um, yeah I'm very interested uh you know in, because of you know uh, the, the, how this story sort of uh started with you as well and uh, and i guess just first off brother you know as i mentioned in the intro and as you'll sort of talk throughout the podcast uh your your great-grandfather survived three massacres um yeah you know and and obviously your your line you know is here to to continue to tell that story which you know, in yeah. a, in itself to survive, you know, one massacre, but let alone three, is is a testament to to him and him and his mob as well. So, uh, yeah, who was your yeah. grandfather? Sorry, your great-grandfather. My old
1: grandfather. Yeah, my great grandfather is our um, in lingo. His name proper name is uh, but, um but he had another little name too called Jamajaraja. Uh, and, um, and they eventually called him like Peter King Peter of Westmoreland in Queensland. And Westmoreland is still Goto country, but um our family's originally from over in Teesside, um the uh, Calvert River, along the Calvert River. Um and uh he was old uh man. Uh, so that's his that's his skin and their clan. So he's my mother, my grandfather and my grandfather's sister and my grandfather my grandfather had 50 something brothers and sisters. So he was one of, you know, um, that many people. But that uh, this old uh, Nana, now my old Nana, who told me the story when I was only young, um, just filled it into my head. She's old uh, Nurlama woman, that's his sister, old oh, named Jesse Jack. And, um, uh, yeah, so, um, and that's my, my, my papa Nimrod, my grandpa, but his youngest sister. She was the only one of mine by the time I was young.
0: Yeah. And yeah. um, and and obviously these are stories what told to you, as you mentioned, uh, growing up as a young kid at home. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you said, you know, uh, your grandmother just sort of continued to sort of drum it in you. And, and to tell you, mm. you know, at that age, did you sort of know what she was sort of alluding to, or you know, or did you know the um, significance of it as well?
1: Uh, you... Not, not until I was older. Like till I till I got a bit older, and I started realising, like, hey, you know, like i I'd be talking to other people in the family, and then suddenly I'd start talking about that, and how hey, do you know that? I thought, oh, Anna Jessie, I like, hey, and you know, and then her daughter, her daughter, my one of the, daughters, only Betty. Jack. Like I was talking to her about and she's like, Yeah. Oh, Mum told you all that Yeah. And then, you know, we'd just have a big old yarn about it. we a big old yarn about it all the time. She, she come so when we oh what this is I, I heard that that story. First time I heard it was about nineteen eighty nine. And I was about eleven years old. And then she come lived with us for a couple of years and just every night, taught, so taught us all bits and pieces. So we all got different stuff, like my brothers and sisters. And I got, the thing that I got taught was just how to identify everybody. body, well, while the clan, like who's in what clan, what skin they are, and just to be able to work all that stuff out. And I still know it to this day, you know. And um, But also she told me this. Story that just blew my mind, you know. As I got older, and I realised what she was talking about, and 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 it's funny because you know, one day when I got a bit bit older, somebody said, "Oh, you want to read that book by this anthropologist?" um it, It's got that story in there, and I was like, "Oh, true." And then reading it, and what I what I know from first hand, you know, from that old fellow's daughter <laughs> who survived the massacres, what I heard and what I read was just Light, you know, just a slight little differences, but um, but you know, it's, it's there. I just, just tripped out. I read the book, read the book White Fella Coming first time when I was in my maybe early 30s, late 20s, and just burst into tears because there was that story, you know, it's slightly there's a couple of little things that was a little bit um. Different, but we'll talk about it anyway. Yeah, but it's just, mm-hmm. and, and then today, right, just because I knew I was coming on the podcast, I was like, oh, I remember reading a Tony Roberts book, Frontier um, Justice, and I and I remember reading it and thinking, oh, this fella got it wrong, man. What's he doing? Like, he, he, he's got this thing wrong. And then today, so I, I pulled it out today because I thought, oh, I was looking around for it and I found them both, both the books. I started cross referencing the books. And Lo and behold, what he's talking about in his book in Just Frontier Justice is another massacre. So it's the second it's like there's, there's the last two massacres that my old great grandfather survived, my old Mimi, but he survived and the other one I don't know about. But I'd only ever heard properly about the uh, the last one. The last one and a and little bit of the other ones. But I didn't realise that there was massacres attached when when I heard the story, I didn't realise there was a massacre attached to how he got caught and why he was getting let go. But anyway, we'll get into that
0: in a minute. Yeah, mm, well, tell us a bit about uh, 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 the three massacres and what you know. Yeah, So uh, the
1: one that Nana, when when my well, Nana told me now, she she said, oh, you know, oh, they were having a, um, a near Wollongong station, which is just east of Borroloola. Um, she said that was having a ceremony there, and and I'm just going to tell you exactly how she told me. She said that was having a ceremony there, and she said, my um, said Mimi was her old uh, gungu, her father's father. You know, she said, "Oh, my old Gungu was there, and um, they come. Uh, there's a fellow. She talked about a fellow named Yellow Patty, and he comes from Wallagreen Station with old um old Shadford, the old fellow the station." And they heard about them having this ceremony there, and they weren't allowed by that time, you know, like people had been, you know, quote unquote, settling the country. And so it, it, um, they were, they weren't supposed to be having this ceremony anyway. Um, uh, they come from the station house, and she, she, all I remember her saying is exactly this: "She said oh they come from the stage now, and they come down to where they were having that ceremony, and they just started shooting everybody, everybody.' And um, I, I wish, see, I wish I was, when I was that young. I was only eleven or twelve, and like when she lived, she came live with us for two years, and build it, You know, she was telling us the story every other week. But I wished I had um, recorded. I wish I, at that age, um." A nut for recording people now in the family and videoing and them, but I wish I had got into it when I was that young. Because she mentioned, you know, about all the which grannies, which ones drowned, which ones got shot, where some of them were buried. She talked about where my great grandfather or my great grandfather buried, you know, and, I, and I've talked to anthropologists like this David Trigger and other. Anthropologists about it, and said, "Oh, you know, where the live in? no?" I said, "Yeah, he's buried right here at the gate of Westmoreland Station." like, what? He said, "Yeah, front left gate." Nana Jessie told me, <laughs> she, you know, that's her father. She knows where he's buried, and um, yeah, that's not in any books, you know. Um, but so anyway, he um, they shot in everybody, and um, they all so the ceremony. Everybody split up into the bush of crews and there was little kids getting um shot and or, or thrown you know, like just thrown in the water and parents jumping in and people drowning and that and, um he they took one of my old nanas, see, 'cause oh, old Garland in now he had seven wives. And my old nana, she was a uh, Buddha Buddha was their bush name. She was old uh, there was three sisters. Oh, Buddha Buddha, Wajalabina, that's my great-grandmother's sister, Sophie, they call called in English, and one other sister. And they... um, One one of them seven wives, anyway, got taken by Yellow Patty and old Shadford. And um, she got taken back to the house, right? It's about... um, It's a good stretch away. You know, it's a whole... It was a whole while away. And they, he didn't have a horse or anything, but he tracked them back to where the station house is. When I read it, in, when I read it eventually in um, Triggers, it says that the station house was 15 miles away from where they shot everyone, you know, shot all of their family and that. And then, um, so he tracked them back. And when I, I, I'll always remember this. When I first went up to Dumbajee all the them old people were crying and saying, Oh, if only you come up here 'cause because is a Wani country. For so my great grandfather, two of his wives were Wani. um, three were Mgarwa and I think two were Gazangalita. And um and one was a woman from um she was from oh, man, uh, Judy now, I think it was. She was from um Normanton. Anyway, um he tracked them back and, you know, they were taking her for, you know, what they, what they did back then. It's like rape, you know, rape the women and keep them in the house of their servants and stuff like that. They took her back to the station house and he tracked them back. And she reckons he waited till it got dark and he had all these big spears there. And he threw some rocks at the house. And that old fella come out, that station manager come out, Shadford, the station owner. And when he come out, she said he let one rip and hit him in the hip. When I hit him in the hip, um, all the other fellows come out. He's screaming, all the other fellows come out. Yellow Paddy, that fellow Yellow Paddy, he um, He's a black fella from New South Wales. He half, must have been half Chinese and half black fella half white and half black fella. but he worked there and he would track you know, he would track the all of our mob and let them station owners know where they were and that's how some of them massacres was happening, you know. Anyway, he come out and he ended up shooting my old great grandfather, old Garan there now, shot him through the shoulder. But while he was there making all this noise and throwing spears at the station house um, that old woman, she escaped and she took off. And so he met back, linked back up with her, and then took her, and they went, they went, they, they, they went, away. And when I first went to Dumugi, they were crying. Oh, that's right, I was telling you about that. When I first went to Dumugi, they started crying. I'm like, oh, if only you come here 20 years ago when you were little, we would have, we would have shown you, shown you that old station house. So I said, oh, where? They said, At Wallagrang. And I said, "Oh, what?" They said, "Oh, every every they used to walk all the young family members up there to see the house because in the house there was uh, three spear holes in the old shack, the old station house shack. That's where my old great grandfather, where three of his spears landed, stone tip, you know, both and and pierced the wood. And uh, they used to take everybody there to see it until that place fell down." Um and so then you know, hearing about that and then and then and then and then, and then Jesse said, Oh, you know, like they caught him a couple of times there and they they went to hang him and um he'd get let out, you know, one one of his um one of his followers, there call it, uh, guru, it's like your nephew, right? One of his nephews let one of his got him, they let, let let him out. <laughs> um, let him out of the where they wherever they had him locked up, but that story there, and then you know, talking to all my uncles and aunties whenever I go up that way, and we'll just sit around and talk about it, you know, like like, a, like it's it's just a family story, but it hurts when you know that, you know, mm. all that all the, and it's not even an isolated thing. Like, I I, I feel like. Lucky that I know this story and that I, you know, I know exactly. I know that old fellow was old, um, William Mob well, Clan, you know, that's his clan. I know he looked after Burry Burry, Shooting Star, and and uh, Lightning. I know all that stuff, and I and I and I feel like I it's not even an isolated incident, and it's like every single Aboriginal First Nations person alive today has that. Ex- a story, nearly exactly the same or similar, or I had a family that's gone through this, you know, and it's it's something that that even that trauma has just stayed in our families over time, you know, and and that's only my great grandfather. So that's what, how many generations is that one, two, three. That's three generations, you know, and mm-hmm. and when people say, oh, it's all in the past and that you know you us need to get over it, it hurts because it's it hurts because it's there. It's not in it's not in the deep dark past. It's not just in books written by white folks. And you know, I tripped out, I first saw that massacre map and I thought, Oh, they don't show all the massacres there. But they only really, you know they only really talk about massacres unless white people documented it in their newspapers or whatever, you know, or mm. or diaries or things like that. So, like, there's so many that have gone and um, spoken of because there's one, either no black blackfellas left to tell that story or two, um, no whitefellas want to talk about that story so they keep, you know, swept it under the rug. But they, it was mm. happening everywhere, left, yeah. right and
0: centre. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah, depending on when it happened, uh, if it happened after 1838, um, after Mile mm. Creek, um, you know, people weren't as um, as sort of uh, loud about, you know, the massacres, like, pre that, like, everybody spoke about them, you know, they sort of, yeah. know, even though I'm sure they were still proud about, you know, killing black yep. fellas after that. Yeah. They were sort of a bit more hush hush because they actually found out that you know people can be perpetrated. Uh, sorry, other perpetrators can be brought to uh, brought to justice uh, on that as well. Mm. So that mask you were talking about—that's the third one. Uh, yeah, that was the that's third the last one. one. He survived. That, that so that's the last one. In regards to the was other two, there two in that one year. Oh, two in yeah. that. Oh, so two in one year. Two then, in that one year. Oh, so, yeah. oh, so eighteen ninety-seven. Eighteen ninety-seven. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, like uh, and like that's. You know, as you mentioned it that, like that's two generations, two generations ago that um
1: yeah
0: that happened, and you know you were that's my mother's grandmother, my yeah, mother's you... grandfather and grandmother, like mm. it,
1: you know, and and then my father's got the cheek to say, oh, get over it, you know, like do you know much about why the other don't you too? celebrate this and that? Um, well, I I knew that he got caught right. There's an just said, oh, he got caught a couple of times they went to hang him, but but he got away. And I didn't realise, right? She didn't tell me. And she might have, but I was so young. I only really just fixated on that one story because I'd be telling my mates about, you know, I'd be talking about it a lot. But um, I opened up this Tony Roberts book now, um, that Frontier Justice. And when I first read it, I thought, this fella got the story wrong. And it wasn't until today, because I knew I was getting on the um, podcast with you, I thought, I'll double-check what this fellow wrote about my old poppy in there. But he's describing, and then when I look at double re- like reference that was between that and Trigger's book, he's talking about another massacre the same year. And Trigger talks about, uh, alludes to this massacre that Tony Roberts is talking about. and so that. And then I'm talking. Then so in this, I'll, I'll read. I'll read a um, bits out of both these books. Definitely, bro. but the the one that Tony Roberts wrote on um, Frontier Justice. I was talking to um, Bowen, the one but He's a white fella, White fella, academic. But when he was nineteen, he went up to Boralola and he started working. He was doing his prac as a teacher in the primary school, and well you know, all our Yanila fellows and Algarua fellows, my, my old grandpa, uncles and that, my, my blood uncles. And that they all, he picked up the lingo real quick and then they said, oh, you know, they took him and they put they him through everything, like everything for 30-odd, 40 years straight, you know. And um, and now he's an associate professor down here in Victoria and, like, it, it's weird because... He's um, family first and this academic second. And it's weird because he, out of all the academics I've met, he, like, he knows his place within the system. You know what I mean? Like, he knows exactly if he's, if, if, if we're, if he gets asked something, he or to do something, he knows that he's got a responsibility back to the, you know, it's not a tokenistic. Oh, give me a skin name, and to, and that's it. Like he went and my old people, and those old granular people, particularly, they took him and put him through all the stuff because they knew he. They asked him then in the eighties when they first put him through. You start look. You got to record it. Then. You should record us. So that, and so we still got it around when when we're gone. And so they just you know, and they sort of I think they probably seen it in and they knew that he wasn't gonna that he was gonna reciprocate you know reciprocate the relationship and that that knowledge and make sure that the knowledge gets to the people the next generation the ones that needed to see it, but I was talking to him, and I mentioned you know I mentioned about um this frontier justice I yeah, hey, I just was re- I just read in the Frontier Justice and it that there's another massacre that, that, old, that they talking about that other massacre. And he said, yeah. And he met when he was there in the 80s and 90s. 80s. There was an old woman there that used to walk around with a rag over her face, a band- like a bandana over her face. And he always thought she was just wearing a mask. She was one of the survivors of this other massacre here. And she got her nose shot off. And it's the one that's in Tony Roberts' book, and it's the one that my, and, and he's talking about my grandfather there now, and how, what happened. But yeah, shortly I'll read into it, but, you know, to, another thing is, too, what's interesting about all this is like, no one, no one from word of mouth, from the, from the, you know, the, the mouth of that old fellow's daughter and then reading about it and having heard that that history firsthand, but reading about it and seeing it written in a, in a, in that academic way where it's, it's, um, it's well, you know, it's, it's stories that have been extracted, but then it's, Objectively written about, mm, mm. rather than you know, um, rather than first person sort of, yeah. From hearing it from family is different, you know. Yeah. Oh, but you... I'm still glad that it's in this book because I just feel like, how you know, I just feel like my kids can pick it up, my grandkids, great grandkids, you know. As well as the legacy that our generation is leaving, like you're leaving through this podcast and your children are gonna see it and all the work he's done with, you know, um war war is our aboriginal resistance and all everything all, all this stuff we're doing is our legacy and um and the music and everything and I feel like this is one these books are like one little thing they can look at and and know that like the fight that we're talking about, it's not that long ago, you know what I mean? And, and it, we're, we're fighting it, and when we're gone, our kids are going to have to fight for the same rights and the same, you know, keep fighting and just, and, and have to live in this society that doesn't really, you know,
0: doesn't really want us around. Mm, it's, um, mm. it's weird. Yeah, definitely. No, it is. You not know. weird, it's just, it, you know, it's, it's just just life, but, yeah, life, reality. Yeah, life, reality. Yeah, that we deal with, sadly. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, and yeah, and I guess the only way that we can sort of change that is, um, you know, telling people, informing people, and you know that they don't sort of make the same mistakes. Um, yeah That was that, that happened in the past. You know, um, it's sad mm. because you know um, we're we're continuing to see our mob uh, 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 be killed. You know, in prison yeah. and and and. In, yep. and in, and in police custody, you know, yep. just this month alone, I think there's been, like, three Aboriginal followers that have died in prison and in police custody, and, you know, two within one week. I think the third one was in either the week after or, 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 or two weeks, you know, and, um, yep. yeah, you know, it's, 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 just, it's just like, you know, when is it going to stop? And, yeah. you know, um, hopefully processes like this you know uh we're truth telling you know all we need now is yep. accountability and 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 that's yep. all we you know all we ask for is accountability to towards the actions that have been um uh perpetrated against us um uh, yeah but but then also you know so, some form of justice and some form of you know um, yeah. uh, whatever that is you know I believe yeah. that, you know we're we're yep. due our our uh we're overdue for uh, what, we, what what is ours and, and what we're deservant uh, of because of what we went through, you know, I, I believe we need yeah. you know, I believe Aboriginal people deserve reparations for everything that we've been through and for everything that, yeah. you know, is going to continue to happen uh, um, you know, in the foreseeable future uh, as well yeah. But, um, but yeah, brother, for, for anybody listening as well and if they sort of want to maybe look into to these stories of your great-grandfather what were those two books that yeah. you mentioned?
1: Yeah, so they are, um, and I'll read out of, out of them in, in, in a bit, but um, Whitefella Cummins, the Whitefella, one word, Cummins, C-O-M-I-N, and then it's, that's by David S. Trigger. And that's, that's his thesis, That was his thesis that he wrote when he was um, in uni, but, and it's called um, Aboriginal, and on the side it says, Aboriginal responses to colonialism in Northern Australia. And then the other book is Frontier Justice, a history of the Gulf country to 1900 by Tony Roberts. And, um, th- just thinking about what you said there too, but Like a, one thing that, two words that I, uh, I just, anytime I hear it, I cringe is post colonial. Because the col- colonialism hasn't stopped. You know, in this country, it hasn't stopped. It never ceased. It's still here now. Like, there's no, you know, it's mm. taken different forms, different ways of punishing us for being black, different, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely prison, yeah. you know, prison, uh, police, mining. Police, you know, mining, everything. Everything, you know, uh, yep. education. Um, yep. uh, 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 Native titles, title, all of it. You, know, it's, you, uh, know. Uh, you know, like education, yeah. health, you know, justice or so-called yep. justice. All those things are, are, um, what do you call it? Are uh, their institutions uh, of, yep. of colonization? You know that that prop it up, and, yep. and, and and that you know, as Chell says, you know, the just another day in the colony. You know, um, these yeah. institutions were set up with a purpose, you know, and, and an intent to leave us out of it. You know uh when they yeah. when they brought the Westminster system here you know uh, when they when they proclaimed this to be a sort of a colony of britain and then when they uh, uh you know when australia des- when they decided to sort of uh, uh formally uh, uh call this country australia and sort of be its own country you know they they deliberately put things within the constitution to exclude aboriginal people to exclude anybody yeah. uh, of color uh, you know, um, and and you know, to include people of 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 of, of who are white, you know, uh, yeah. um, to, to 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 be more of a citizen in this country than what we were, and you know, mm. um, it, it was only in our parents' lifetime that some of these things changed, you know, uh, in regards to you know our parents. You know, being uh, classified yeah. as humans, or you know, yeah. uh, 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 not being classified as fauna and flora, or you know, not living yeah. under you know any of the Black Acts, you know, yeah. um, you know not you know allowed to move off the bloody missions, allowed to be paid, yeah. you know, like these yep. things, you know, these things were were set up for the intent to sort of, you know, leave us out, die us out, you know, uh, but yeah. You know, we're still here, and we're here because of stories like this of your great grandfather, yeah. you know, um, yeah. stories of all his, you know, um, resistance leaders and survivors, especially from that time.
1: Yep. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, like they, they call that time there now up, up the gulf, they call it wild time. And it's like, now Jesse, I remember telling me, I went for 30 years, boy. I was like, hey, look out. Thirty years, thirty years, you know. And I and I don't know whether and that was when they were pushing up to get up into the territory, to get up in the Arnhem Land, to get you know, get across in uh, that way. And um yeah, just the, the there was a place actually called um and then Jesse just used to say, Oh, i oh your old grandfather now that I'll um Garan Jamadee used to go down and fight at um Hell's Gate. So there's Hell's Gate Roadhouse when you're driving up in the Savannah Way, up in the Gulf. And Hell's Gate, I think it might be Queensland side, it's just not far past Doomaji. Maybe, I don't know exactly how far, but I've driven past it, but, you know, it was a bit, bit of a blur because we were in a rush to get to Mooralola. But, um, exactly how far it is from Doomaji. But that place there, Hells Gate, that's where it happened. 30 years, there was 30 years, right? And, and how I heard from Mama manager, she said, 30 years and them white military fellas, they, them, uh, Wade, they wouldn't let, um, they wouldn't escort any of them farmers and that past Hells Gate. They said, if you want to go past here, you're by yourself because the blacks are wild. And, and 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 you know, and so that's how it's remembered as Wild Time, even by Blackfellas Wild Time. And um, when they went through, you know, we just they, the military would say, "You need ammunition, you know, plenty of food, and that you're, you're probably going to get ambushed. We can't take you past this point. You're on your own. If you want to try and settle that country, you go by yourself." Thirty years they sat at Hell's Gate. Shitting themselves. Hey, look out! <laughs> no. mm-hmm. But true, you know, like scared,
0: too scared to go through, and our people just fought, 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 fought. Mm. And, um, and, I, and I, just really quickly, and, and that's something yeah. that um, even us as black fellows we forget that, you know, everywhere on this continent, uh, wherever white fellas uh, went, they were met with that resistance. You know, yeah. it took you know them time to sort of get past certain sort of areas, especially. You know, if it's uh, the, the, depending on the terrain and stuff, and and the amount yep. of mob that are sort of in that area, you know, from my understanding, like um, yeah, you know, it was just it was brutal, um, and you know the the knowledge obviously that mob had of country, you know, that's why they could yep. defeat you know uh, muskets and and different other yep. sort of uh, uh, western weapons, you know, whether it's cannons or whatever, horses mm-hmm. at that as well. You know, there was certain terrain that the horses couldn't get to, you know, mob using fire, all different types of things, you know, and mm. uh, their environments sort of uh, uh, keep yeah. back uh, yeah. other Europeans and uh, uh, from, from sort of invading more of our country as well.
1: Yeah. Uh, up there too, our mob used to, and
0: I'll say it was the same around the
1: country, they used to sing their shields so that you know, nothing could get through their shield. you know. <laughs> it was like hectic them old fellows using that you know black magic to try and ward off these bloody probably what they thought was white spirits, you know? But mm, like, um mm. yeah. Yeah. No, I was definitely. just thinking um, Yeah. I might read look, I might read some of the stuff to you, if you read some um, please to the listeners. Yeah. So in, in I'm going to read from page 21 and, um, Whitefall in Whitefall comment first. And at the back, so in the appendix, um, there's a little note that says, <clears throat> Map 4 shows the approximate locations of the states of which these cognitive groups trace ties. In case one, showing people affiliated with an area in coastal mainland Yanula country known as Zaryana. Mm-hmm. Golan or, and, and as mild people know him as um or Peter, they eventually called him King Peter, and I'll get into that too. Um, designated by the letter A, travelled east into Queensland in a wild time and eventually became King of Westmoreland. There, that's there. Obtaining seven wives and much influence during his lifetime, he was shot in the shoulder by Yellow, Yellow Paddy in 1897. In the event, Near Boolagrange, described in Chapter Two, was later caught by him again and held captive for two days. And with one of his wives, would have been killed, but for the intervention of a mixed descendant kinsman, who had been reared by a white couple at Westmoreland, a sister's son. And so, he yeah, it says a sister's son. So when my old Nana was telling me, she said, "Oh, he's um, he's Karu." My, bro- one of my brothers, he's Garu. That, that old, fella, my, my old father's Garu. And that means, that's your sister's son. Like that. That's, that's what that word means. So I know that when they're talking about this fella, a sister's son, um, mm-hmm. that saved him, I know that that's one of my, it, it might not be direct, you know, like his... um it could be just the clan. So he could he could just be his um, skin like my grandfather, and so then he then he's automatically like you know my my great grandfather's nephew, or he might have been, um, yeah. Anyway, because his nephew let him out. So when when I'm talking about these things, right? Like, so I put together the genealogy even for our family, and I'll, on this genealogy here, I've got. Seven of the six wives, and this is just from word of mouth. Sitting down with these old people, like my mum and my, one of my aunties, two of my old aunties, one just passed away, up And um, and uh, the one that's still alive, I call her Dowager. And my mum's passed away, and uh, and the one that passed away, um, I like AP call her Villager, because she was the eldest of mum's. Cousins, sisters, you know, and um, but so like there was my old grandfather Jamaji, old and then my great grandmother was Buddha Buddha, and then or Minnie, they call in English, and then Sophie, and I was Nana Sophie was Wadulla Bina, that was their skin, and I don't remember Nana Judy, that was another wife, and then there was old Nana Bessie Booth, but she was a dumaji before before she had that last name Booth. Then there was Lizzie Peter. Limerick Peter and um, yeah, so they're like that family, Dumaji, that's how I'm related to them because then old man Lizzie she had Arthur Peter, Arthur Dumaji, um, and then that generation, that next generation, that's my grandfather's generation, and so there's like on this when they were just accomplished, have like got 52. Brothers and sisters, right? So 50, 51, there's 52 of them all together. She said, I've got 51 brothers and sisters. But on this genealogy that I've got, because I've only got the six of the seven, I've only got 30, what, 35 of them or something, like 35, thirty-five, forty of them. And then, then there's my mother's generation, and there's about, uh, you know, close to 100 of them. And then my generation, there's twice as many there, and still putting it all together but i'll read read out of this now so um that was that the appendix and then i'll go to where he referenced page 21 in um, Whitefellow common and this is what it says <clears throat> down the bottom of the page it's the last paragraph it says, oral accounts also describe conflict over aboriginal women in a well known event at Waller a party of whites and at least one man of mixed descent, that was, and I know for a fact because I got told word of mouth that that was old Yellow Paddy, um, from the station attacked a large group of people holding a major cult ceremony out of sight on Settlement Creek, some 19 kilometres, sorry, 19 kilometres from the station house. They shot many and abducted a woman. Now that Woman that they're talking about, that's one of them old women now, one of my old great grandmother's wives, one of my old great grandmothers, you know, um, abducted a woman, taking her back to the house. Her husband escaped and came to the house that night. That's my great grandfather now. That's old Jamajaraja, or Garan And it says there are different accounts of precisely what happened, but the result was that he speared the white abductor in the thigh and was himself shot by the ladder with a shotgun. Both men survived, as the story is described in T73. The woman was able to get away from the station house, but then later on, when everything didn't get settled down, they're quoting one of my old, um, um, probably one of my old grandfathers, brothers and sisters, or one of my cousins, or one of my aunties and uncles, and says, "Um, and it says um, uh, when everything been gets settled down, the two followers been get friend up. That is the husband eventually came with others to live a semi sedentary life at Woolagreen, and establish a relationship of some familiarity with the white station we see. And um, indeed he was made king of that you know, quote unquote, king of that station. A status a status discussed below. Archival records indicate that the attack of the ceremony site and subsequent violence at the homestead occurred in 1897. Now, that's all they wrote about it, right? But I I know how he got them to come outside, because Nana Jesse told me. He threw, he picked up all these rocks, and he had about um, 10, 12 spears, big, long, heavy, heavy spears, right? And and there's photos of them old Gunala and Gangolita warriors in Burketown one year, and it was around that same time now that all this was happening. And they they were the war party that used to everybody always says that's a war party that used to travel around with that old fella. Anyway, he had a, a whole bunch of rocks, and he was throwing the rocks at the front of the house to make them fellows come out. And that's when the old that old um, Bob, I think his name was Shepherd, they come out, and then um, my old pop then. Um, let one rip and hit him in the hip, um, and then you know, like I mentioned earlier on when I was telling the story, then that my, one of my men was there, they got away, and then met back up and they were right. Then they, they, um, they, you know, like it says in this story here, like um, they went to live a sedentary lifestyle, whatever that means. yeah sedentary life at Woolagreen and establish a relationship with some familiarity with the white station, we see. Yeah, so that's that, that one um, that they wrote about and um, that was written about and, you know, it's like, it's crazy because this is, like, this is my family, right, and mm-hmm. if it was, when it's white followers, there's, the Anzac Day, and the whole nation will stop. It. Oh, my God, they fought, you know, all these people. And they remember every military person that that fought for this country. But they forget about all the first, 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 first people that fought for this country. And it gets swept under the rug, you know, to the point where there's, you know, you've got big statues of all these great Captain this and Colonel that, and this, they're all rapists and bloody murderers, you know, and rapists and murderers. And mm-hmm. and what do we get? We get the occasional, you know, the occasional bloody massacre plaque. Um, and it, I don't know, it just seems really, yeah, it's just hurt, hurtful mm, when when fair. I, mm. no one what you know, well, no one what all know about what's happened to a mob, every single one of us has family that's survived this. You know, if they didn't, we wouldn't be sitting right here. So they, they, they have, you know, they've been made it through, they fought, they fought. And what sometimes spins me out is when I talk to people from sometimes, like I'll talk to brothers or sisters from um, Aotearoa and sometimes, you know, they'll say, oh, but you know, the difference is, in New Zealand, we, we fought. A- and that's how we got treated. I was like, hey, not... <laughs> you know, you got to set the record straight and tell them when mm-hmm. you tell them, they get a shock. And they're like, what? Oh, I never heard that. I'm like, yeah, you never heard it. Because, you know, we didn't write the history books. Um, they did. And, um, yeah, uh, yeah, that was just one of the stories. And then this other one, when I read it properly, um in this Frontier Justice, I'll read a bit of this now. He um yeah, on, yeah trips me out because old man Jesse told me, you know, oh, they, I don't know, we gonna kill him. But they let him um one of the one of his gun or let him go. And so this is that story in this other one here. Now um I'll read this. <clears throat> uh, oh okay, so you go. Lawrence Wells, so this is on page 201 of Frontier Justice by Tony Roberts, uh, and it's a, a history of the Gulf Country to 1900, and uh, page 201, second, second, third paragraph, and it says, Lawrence Wells, a member of the Border Survey Party, called at Westmoreland Station in August 1886. That's where my, my old Mimi my, my mother's father, where he was born, and so now Jesse knew exactly which tree all her brothers and sisters were conceived under, who was born under what tree, who was buried where, every, everything like that, you know. And that's how, even when Mum went up there and went with my with my aunties, um, she she went up there a couple of times, but this one big time they took Mum went with my other two or three aunties, and they took them and showed them where their father was conceived, my old great grandpa, my Mimi, where, where he was conceived, the tree that he was conceived under, then where he was born, you know, all, everything about it on Westmoreland there now. Uh, anyway, so it says, um, Lawrence Wells, a member of the Border Survey Party, called at Westmoreland Station in August 1886 where he learned of a massacre on Wollagurang, that's Wollagurang Station, which is over in the territory side. And this is all still guttural country because, you know, those borders are only 200 and something years old at a place called The Pocket on Branch Creek. He was told that many natives had been shot by the whites for cattle spearing. Gins and piccaninnies sometimes share in the same fate. And I know that babies share the same fate because Nana Jessie told me about it. She told me, you know, and she said, oh, such an you know, my old thing is my... and went into detail about it. And I just wish I recorded her to, she went into family, you know, who was who and who got killed where. And she was, she might even been at one of these massacres, you know, like like I was saying um, about that lady with the no nose up there that was walking around in the 80s. And she'd survived one of these. She was a baby when one of these happened, you know. Anyway, um, I'll keep going. Um, <clears throat> at a place called The Pocket on Branch Creek, he was told that many natives had been shot by the whites for cattle spearing, gins and pickaninies sometimes sharing the same fate. Among the station managers and stockmen in this border country, Wells observed were rough, hard cases quite capable of retaliating and taking the law into their own hands for the spearing of cattle. In 1897 a large number of Garawa people, among them Peter, Gar Jamaji and Ilubara, Crooked Foot, were gathered for a kunavipi. now that ceremony there, that's a big, big ceremony like I uh, you know. I'll only ever say it that once in this interview 'cause that's uh, yeah. I just read it then and I said it out loud but I mm. probably shouldn't even be saying that aloud. I've been through ceremony myself, but that's big, you know. So that gives you uh, an idea of the size of this thing, how big it was, that's how many people were there. Um, Ceremony at uh, Baladuna Waterhole on Settlement Creek. Many were shot when a large group of armed stockmen from Woolagrange, led by the manager, Robert Bob Shatford, attacked the gathering and kidnapped women, including one of Illaburra's wives. Garan this is my <coughs> great-grandfather, who'd already been shot, <coughs> remember he was shot, um, I was t- t- and he got shot in the shoulder by old um, Yellow Paddy. Well, th- this is another time he got shot by the same fella. Garan Jamaji was shot in the shoulder by an infamous stockman of mixed descent called uh, named Yellow Paddy. The survivors fled into the rugged hills where Illaburra, a tall man regarded by Europeans as the local king, immediately planned a counterattack, sending nightly scouting parties to watch the station. It was Shadford he particularly wanted, which suggests that he may have had other grievances against him. Yellow Paddy had been born in New South Wales in about 1850 and grew up there. He was an outstanding horseman, but was disliked by whites and blacks alike. An exceptionally big man, he was not tall, but had... Immense shoulders and arms, and weighed over 15 stone (95 kilograms). A subsequent manager of Wallagaring described him as nearly black, with a shawly disposition and a very cruel ruling, uh, and very cruel ruling his gins with an iron hand, giving them the most unmerciful hidings for the slightest thing. Apparently, he showed great kindness to horses and cattle, but nothing else. Some time after the massacre at Maladuna Waterhole. He captured Peter Gurunjamaji now uh, my great grandfather and his wife. This is one of my old another one now. Um, now in that other story that I was telling you that now Jesse told me they took after that other massacre happened they took one of his wives and he threw, you know that's where he threw the spears at the house. Now this is a um, Total separate, separate incident, and it says here, he captured Peter Garandjama and his wife, held them prisoner for two days and would have killed them both had a man of mixed descent from Westmoreland Station not intervened. And that man, I know from my old nana, old, his old daughter, one of his, the youngest of his 52-odd kids, told me was his nephew, see wallagrain uh yeah intervened wallagrain homestead was made of iron unlike a number of others in the district unlike a number of others in the district with an ant bed floor it had two heavy wooden doors loopholed with removable beams fitted into posts behind the door frame to prevent forced entry the windows were covered with several layers of strong wire netting in front of the house was a fully enclosed beer proof wire cage made from layers of heavy netting where Shadford and his friends could sit safely in the evenings. Now there's mob up in Boranula, Robinson River, and even down in Anala, with the last name Shadford, because that old fella was like, why he was taking all the old all, all our old women there, was raping them, and, they, and then they were having kids. He was having kids, you know, mixed descent kids, and so that name is in our family. We know them as family because because of their Old nanas with some of with some of my family, you know like that so um yeah, yeah, then it talks about another um and and uh so I'll just read a little bit more because this comes back to how my grandfather, my great grandfather died um yeah. so it says uh in page two o two um, it says, halfway down, it says, In the dark early hours of 11th of October, a very large number of Garawa men surrounded the, homel- uh, the homestead. A large a lack of feed had forced Shadford's brother, George, and all the stockmen to take the cattle and horses down to the coast, leaving only Bob Shadford, his Aboriginal house girls, and 50-pound Jimmy, the Chinese cook. Now, that Chinese cook, I'm going to talk about it shortly. My great-grandfather killed that Chinese cook. And then eventually got killed, shot point blank in the head for killing that Chinese cook. Um, uh, uh, 50 pound Jimmy, the Chinese cook at home. Shortly before dawn, several bushwomen deliberately made a slight noise in the yard near the outdoor kitchen, causing the dogs to bark. But instead of Shadford emerging to investigate, it was a visitor who had arrived the previous night, a man named G.A. Mathis the women called out, "Blackfellow, Blackfellow!" and pointed across the creek. Matisse ran inside for his revolver and woke up Shantford, who rushed outside with a double-barrel shotgun loaded with copper slugs. He walked towards the women who were standing in front of an old bloodwood tree by the kitchen and called out, Where, Blackfella? They pointed to his right, but Shantford turned. Shadford turned. They parted, and Illaburra, the old fellow who was old Illaburra and old Garungamaji now, with the two old main fellas that run all the big ceremonies of my great grandfather and this old fella here. Who 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 actually um the, yeah, they they. anyway, this is another time now. And then um he stood up from the base of a tree and threw a stone headed spear. The range being so close that his grunt as he did so was clearly audible. Shadford noticed the movement and turned, at the same time firing both barrels. The spear hit his left elbow and was deflected into his side above the hip, protruding more than a metre. Illaburra was thought to have been wounded in the leg, but he fled with the others when Matisse appeared and fired his revolver. Yeah, so that's you know, that's just more so um, going back to uh, 50-pound Jimmy. So those seven wives among my of my my old manners there now. One of them had a child and one and had of them fifty something fifty two odd kids, one of them came out um, half Asian. And fifty pound Jimmy is the only person, he's a Chinese cook on on um uh, Westmoreland. Uh Wallagrane. or Westmoreland? I mean I'm not going to deal with that. right? So um my and this I heard this isn't in, in any of these books. This is straight from my grand my, my old nana now. Now she said one of them babies come out Asian and they knew straight away that it was this fella and he ended it ended up he'd raped one of my old nana. So I'll go and jamaji now, and all the warriors all got their spears and they went down, they marched down to the station and they, they said, um, You tell that fellow to come out here. You know, broken English. It, it wasn't very long that they'd, that people had been in the Gulf, you know, really. the 30 year wild time was just coming to an end. I don't know exactly when it came to an end. You'd have to read one of these books here to find out. But anyway, so he said, that fellow's going to come out here. He's got to face law. Uh, they got him outside, and the and the station owner by that time, see, he had that king place, and they were calling King Peter. So they, they built up a healthy... What my family say is they respected each other because that fellow respected my grandfather for like because he was scared and he nearly got killed, right? And old Illumboa nearly killed him as well. So he was like, oh, and um, he just said, okay, well, if you if you black fellas stay over there and don't come over this side, we're right. And my old pop and that my old, old mimic in there said, yeah, okay. My old grandfather said, okay, well, we'll stay over here. And then because of that sort of, I know, they wouldn't say it, like mutual respect. it wasn't so much mutual respect. That fellow was scared that he was going to die. Anyway, because he kept his distance and he did stay over there, then eventually got this king plate. So he had this king plate. And I, I don't know how old my grandfather was when this happened, but my grandfather was born in 1906 and um, on Westmoreland Station under a tree. And um, he... That old fellow went there with the warriors to the station house and they dragged that old fellow out that they coop. They drew a circle. Manager said they drew a circle and made him stand in the circle. Then they all walked back 10 paces and my old great-grandfather, he said, you know, they explained everything that, that, that old um uh, Shadford, old Bob, he wouldn't jump in because he knew it was law, you know, that that this, this is tribal law now. You, He'd come and he did the wrong thing. And so he walked back, they took 10 paces back. My great grandpa, old Jamajarajar, old, uh, old Garan Jamaji, picked his, um, Woodjala, we call him spear thong, picked it up, held it back, put his arm up with the spear, and all the other fellows, So, how that used to work is they draw the circle, make you stand in the middle, give you a shield. To defend yourself, one shield. But if you stepped outside the circle, um, everyone would just throw this spear one time, kill you. But if you could stand there, like they say, you stand there like a man and face it, and deflect all the their spears. If you got away unscathed, you got away unscathed. You you faced law, you faced the penalty, right, and you survived it. If you got injured, you got injured. If you died, you died. That was it. And after after that, it was over and done with, right? Because you, you're facing that you're facing your punishment. So they put him in the circle and they he held us you know, I can only imagine you can only imagine what was going through his head. Like all these big every one of them was over six foot, you know, six foot something, broad shoulders. Like all their families were all tall fellas. And and um they're always written about a big, tall guttural fellas all big tall fellas, six foot, and wide shoulders. And we're all in that size still today, you know, um, but, but um Anyway, they all lined up. And um, Gaurang held his spear up, let it rip, and from 10 paces back, got him, hit him straight in the chest and killed him. After that happened, old Bob Bob Shadford got the shit because he didn't have a call. And so he called in the police, and they got native police up there, and they were tracking him, and they... They chased him for around about an energy record for about three years, on and off, and they kept, you know, catching him. And one time, when, she, and that's what uh, Tony Roberts was described in his book when they caught after one massacre, they caught him. They caught him and his wife. That was one of the times that Nana Jessie described that. And that she said, "Oh, he's got to let him out. His nephew let him out. Let him go. My, my one of my brothers." And um. So, he got caught a few times, about three times over two or three years. Eventually, they started getting real close, like he probably went on the run. Um, and like this, by this time, colonization had like well and truly hit, right? Because at, at this, before he, he died, he'd been working in the meat works for the Sweeneys, the Sweeney brothers up in Burketown. Uh, and, uh, Gungalita country. So he, he'd experienced that 30 year war and his old father, my old great, great grandfather, Ola uh, Yarabul, he was there as well, like him and the Ola now, They experienced the full force of, you know, white colonization, British, UK, you know, British, Irish, Scottish force pushing up. And those slugs and those bullets and everything like that coming into their country. And, um, anyway, he, um, he, uh, escaped like two or three times. But then they got close and he just got away. And so he went, he went bush, but they tracked him and they, they got these trackers in and they tracked him down to this bush. So he held up a spear from the bush with a little white flag on it, you know. And he's waving the spear, saying, I'll give up. When they saw the spear, they just shot into the bush and then he, they got him, hit him once or twice. And, and this is just, just from my nan, you know, from my old man told me. And it's not written in any books, you've got to remember this. And then he stumbled out of the bush and then um, they just come up, they knew he was, that he only had spears, he was unarmed. They come up and they put the gun right up to his head and shot him point blank through the head and then buried him. And this is not even in any of those books and none of these fellows, none of these anthropologists know about this. I've talked to them and they're like, oh, really? I said, yeah. So they took his body and where Westmoreland Station is in Queensland, right. The old Westmoreland Station, the front gates, they, they buried Dug a ditch, they dug a big thing, a hole, uh, like a hole that you could fit a body straight up and down in. They took, because they, he, you know, they called him King Peter by this time. They took his king plate and then they buried him upside down to say, to show that, uh, the disrespect for him. Uh, and then buried him upside down and left him there at the, the front, old front left gate of Westmoreland Station.
0: So, and, it's, it's an amazing story yeah, um, you and, know like that's that or, that's what they make like movies about you know Hollywood movies about is is, mm-hmm. is stories of you know and, and they're much of just made up stories you know that they're just yeah. put together and you know there's people who, are, who who have actually sort of lived these lives you know it's sort of like yeah. Django where you know he gets captured and his wife gets captured and he goes and saves her you know yeah. it's sort of yeah. like that, you know what I mean it's you know, like, like these are legit sort of stories that happened, and you know, on yeah. one hand, they're recorded by the anthropologists, like the books that you that you're reading, and you know, you're yeah. getting told word of mouth. You know what I mean? Yeah. By, by by family members as well. So there's there's no way in sort of denying that these events no. didn't happen. You know, because one, yep. you know, yeah, like I said, you're getting told the story from the people who were there. Then you know, the people who've done the research and you know read yep. the articles or or, or the newsletters at the time as well. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. It's an amazing story, brother. No. And, and I do appreciate you yeah. jumping on and, yeah, no worries, and bro. mentioning it and talking yeah. about it as well. Because I, I remember, yeah. I, I think you sort of mentioned it a couple of times as well. And then when you, you wrote something yeah. on, on Facebook, and I was like, ah, oh, got to get this follow on and, and, and have yeah. a show. Well. And, and plus, like, I wanted to have more more yarns with people who, who know these stories you know, firsthand by sort of yeah. uh, being passed down as well because, you know, that's sort of, um, you know, an undeniable truth. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then it's backed up by Whitefall of Facts, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, And yeah. by their own recording. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And it's just, it, you know,
1: it's, I always say to Kate, it's like, it's a blessing and a curse because yeah. it's like, and it's deadly to be able to talk to you on your podcast and, and get this out of, out of my head and out, you know, like it, it just feels like there's too many of these stories that have been untold and it's like, you know, and I don't mind, you know, I don't mind that there's what anthropologists writing books about it and that, but at the same time, it's like, you know, they can only capture so much and they can't capture the detail that all the families can tell, you know? um, Well,
0: because that makes it real, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, um, it's sort of like nowadays when, you know, when the media talk about an Aboriginal person who died in custody, they just make it a, they make that Aboriginal person a number or a figure or just sort of, you know, an illusion of, of just another person who are a part of this sort of uh, uh, long list of Aboriginal people who died, then you talk to their family and you yeah. just realise, like, you know, uh, they're not yeah. all yeah. that the meaning lost says. The, lost them. Yeah, 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 yeah. They lost a the parent or they lost, the they auntie, lost or a yeah, cousin or a brother. The person I love on there, you know what I mean? It's like connected, yeah. you know, same as these stories, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and obviously, you know, uh, when white followers write about something and you know, they write you know, from their own understanding and their own perspective, Um, and then when a black fellow tells a story, you know, like you, like you, throughout this whole thing, you mentioned how you're interconnected with nearly everybody within these stories, and, you know, like, so you can't deny that, one, you know, you are your mob, but then also, two, that these things uh, uh, don't happen as well.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's, um, yeah, you know, I think, I think the 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 uh, I, need, I to think it's just it's just a big I feel like a big weight's been taken off my shoulders right? because I've been talking about this little bits and pieces, little spurts, and I get it out every now and again. I just you know, talk about it a little bit, try and get it off my chest, but to be able to go into detail.
0: I, I, I think tell, I should do more with it. Things, like, you know, that's a, yeah. like, It's an amazing story, man. Yeah. Now, like, um, well, just recently, I bought a comic book. Well, like the, the, the one of the one of the inspirations for me to do this podcast is about in 2012. I was given a book called "500 Years of Resistance" by this native fellow in Canada, Gord Hill. Oh, um incredible. he's he's just re- revised it and, and put it in color. Um, and he's added, hey. so so the so, write that down. So the comic book's from 1492, so when Columbus went to uh, the Caribbean. uh yep. The Tiano people, I think it's called. Um, yeah. And then it goes up to, the original one goes up to maybe 90, 1990 or 95 or 92. Yep. But the new one goes from 1492 up to like 2000 and... 15, 16, or actually even now yeah, wow. with some of the mob in Canada who who, who are fighting, as like, I don't know more, and some of the communities that, like, uh, when I was in Canada in 2014 that we visited. Um, but, mm-hmm. like, that, that's one of the inspirations of this podcast. Uh, so eventually, like, yeah. I want to sort of uh, uh, get this lad on and, and then sort of just talk about uh, uh, the importance of sort of putting his stories down. And he did it as a yeah. comic book, you know, and... Um, yeah, wow. What's uh, it called? 500 Years of Resistance so if you just yeah, google that and Gord hill it'll come up uh the revised yep. version should come up the colored version um next time at brizzy if you don't have one by then i'll show you uh, the copy that yeah, i've done deadly. as well um, yeah, and that's yeah, no, awesome um as well um and then yeah, like i said that's sort of one of the inspirations and you know there's the, there's so many ways i think we can tell these stories today um, yep. you know and I think like a comic book or a podcast is the best way especially you know for want to encourage any uh, uh, generation you know uh, to sort of mm-hmm. learn about that history you know these are yep. two forms of sort of you know learning that is easy uh, accessible uh, uh, you know and, and and you know isn't too difficult for people to understand as well and yeah. you know yep. it, it's it's definitely something that that I want to sort of look at, you know, through this podcast as well as is, yep. is sort of depicting uh, these stories or, or other stories, uh, um, you know, in another light as well and, and telling that story as well and, you know, engaging yeah. other people who, who might not listen to podcasts uh, as well. But, um, but brother, I just want to say thanks as well for coming on and having this yarn. No worries. Uh, it, it's Thank so important, you. you know, and, you know, I love the fact that, you know, before you read the book, you were told this by, you know, your grandmother. You know, this is yeah. orally passed down from, you know, yeah. from a couple, two from two generations. You know, all of when yeah. these events actually took place and happened as well. So, you know, I do want yeah. to thank you, my brother, for coming yeah, on. Yeah, no worries. No worries. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah. It's funny too because I've got a photo of that old 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 woman now sitting right here to my right. <laughs> I'm looking at it there now, and I'm um,
0: watching here that, you that, that you're thinking, telling me yeah, yeah, right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, nah, but just really nah, quickly nah, as yeah, well. Thank you very much. No, all good, yeah, yeah. No, all good, brother. Yeah. Oh, yeah, just really quickly for everyone listening. Uh, Fred Leone uh, is is my guest. Uh, this is episode twenty six of Frontier Wall Stories, um, and also don't forget, you know, people uh, listening, you can donate to the podcast. Uh, you become a patron. Uh, Subscriber, If you head to uh, Frontier War Stories on Podbean, it has sort of a a link where you become a patron or you can just donate to the PayPal. I also have an Instagram page that I just started called Frontier War Stories. It has a bunch of information, some clips, uh, some other stuff that I don't do on the podcast as well that I upload. Um, So definitely go check that out and it has a direct link to uh, the PayPal as well. Um, And just remember as well, these... The stories uh, that we're talking about uh, in this podcast um, are events that are either been captured uh, uh, through uh, the oral histories, like uh, Fred has, but then also through the research, uh, through the documents, through the newsletters, through the letters that were sent via individuals or via the government in that time, the police, um, you know, uh, newsletters, um, as well and, and, and you know subsequently that's sort of what happened in this case for Sean as well Fred's read the book and you know put all, you know, all these sort of different points together as well so um, I do urge people to have a look at those books uh, as well um, you know if, if you want to sort of get into more detail in regards to you know frontier conflict uh, in the Northern Territory as well but um, brother Fred um, once again thanks for coming on No worries thank you thanks
1: for having me Bill